Hi, Stephanie here. I am an entrepreneur, lobbyist, wife, mother, book lover, and political junkie. I think gender equality is still a work in progress in our homes, our workplaces, and our politics. And I love to learn, especially from other women. So I started Women Don't Do That, a podcast and blog to talk about issues women care about today and to inspire us to do whatever it is we think we can't do. I am thrilled to have as my guest today, Megan Duhamel, a three-time Olympic medalist, two-time world champion, and trailblazer in her sport. She's also a winner of Battle of the Blades and now carries titles such as coach, wife, and mother. In this interview, Megan will share her journey as a professional figure skater, what she's up to today, and inspire you to overcome obstacles in your own life. I can't wait for you to hear Megan's story. So let's get started. Thank you so much for being here, Megan. Thanks for having me. It's uh, exciting having watched you on TV throughout your skating career to have you here today. Oh, thank you. My skating career these days feels very far removed from the life I live now. So it's always funny to reminisce about those times. Yes, I can imagine. I feel <laughs> like that sometimes now I did competitive gymnastics, not at very senior levels, but my kids are in gymnastics now. And when I look at them and watch what they're doing I think oh it's been a long time since I've been <laughs> able to move my move my body like that um not as far back for you perhaps but mm -hmm. always funny I was thinking about uh what we might have in common and, and when I was doing research Megan I realized that you and I are both the same height which oh, wow. makes me very happy yes <laughs> I'm only 410 which I think is okay. 410 yeah like 410 411 I'm always stand, I guess. Right. I'm just shy of, of 411, but it always mm -hmm. surprises people, right? When you do Zooms and stuff like that. And then I see people in person, they're like, oh my goodness. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I was like, oh yeah. And I did skate a little bit when I was younger, but only for a little bit because I was doing competitive figure skating and gymnastics and um, it just takes too much time and costs too much money. So I was forced to choose and I chose gymnastics in the end. Oh, but both sports are so similar in the end. And my three-year-old really loves gymnastics. And I don't know if like we'll go down that road with her, but right now it's the sport of choice. Yeah, it, it is true. Because I remember even I skated for a while before I switched to gymnastics, but like I was the figure skater that, you know, ended their routine in the splits and like was very flexible. <laughs> and so I'm sure for some people, the switch didn't seem that unusual. And I also later on did cheerleading as well. Um, which oh, again, right, there's some similarities in some of the different pieces, but um, I always loved um, skating. It's a really yeah, it's acrobatic. Yes. You see, uh, and really fun and different. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's very unique that way. Let's dive in by talking about what does life look like for you right now? Yeah, life is pretty crazy and hectic right now. Um, I'm the mom to a three-year-old and a six-month-old. Um, or she's seven months now. I still say six. She's seven. <laughs> Minor difference. Um, I'm still working. I, I coach at the rink in Oakville and at a couple of other places, mainly focusing on off-ice training. So like the strength and coordination, balance, flexibility, cardio. I really love working with athletes off the ice. That's I found like my little world there that I love. And I discovered it 
accidentally because of the COVID lockdowns and athletes looking for various training methods. And I did a lot of Zooms and I realized I was really creative and had a lot of really great ideas. And I'm not a very creative person in anything else in my life. So it's funny how all my creative energy goes into that, I guess. And um, yeah, after those lockdowns ended, a lot of people asked me to continue doing their off-ice training. And I just love it. And off-ice training was something I took really seriously as an athlete. And I was able to stay injury-free for such a long part of my career. And I worked with some of the best trainers in various different um, aspects. So I was mentored and learned a lot from great people. So I've been doing that. I do a lot of skating seminars, more so now again that things have opened back up. Um, and I don't really skate that much at all anymore. My three-year-old skates and sometimes <laughs> she asks my husband to take her. Sometimes she asks me, but uh, yeah, that's kind of how everything's going. I'm working at Skate Oakville mostly, which is obviously in Oakville. And I live in Burlington, Ontario, just outside of Oakville. Yeah. So, well, that sounds like a, a busy life, which we'll unpack a little bit more. <laughs> what motivates you to live your best life? Well, right now, most of that is, is my children and I want to offer them everything and more and give them all the best opportunities and all the opportunities that I was given as a young child. And, um, I, I like how I feel when I'm healthy and when I, when I'm productive and when I'm helping people that energy of like working with athletes and helping athletes it's a really special like bond to share with them and I really like mm -hmm. that and um, you know working in that field as well allows me to take care of my body as well which I also enjoy feeling good who doesn't enjoy feeling good <laughs> yes I feel like a lot of our listeners would really relate in particular to your Instagram because you talk a lot about your kids and life with your kids, but you also have some um, tips in there about like fitness and just leaving, a, living a healthy lifestyle. And you can see you incorporating some of that teaching about the off-ice training and stuff into your mm -hmm. work. Yeah, I really like it. And uh, my three-year-old, she was there yesterday. She said, I'm wearing my running shoes to the rink so I can exercise. Um, <laughs> and so I had I had four classes, so she only lasted through one of them. But uh, yeah, she really, really likes to to take along and, and learn about all these things. And I work with really young kids. Um, I have four and five-year-olds in the lowest like group that I work with, the beginners that are just entering and interested in competitive figure skating. And then I'm working all the way to skaters that are competing internationally um, for Canada and for other countries. That's really amazing. What, what a unique perspective. And I loved what you said about like coaching and supporting athletes. Um, when I was younger, I coached gymnastics uh, for a number of years. And it it really is um, really inspiring to see athletes grow and, and, and do the work and just accomplish some amazing things. And uh, I can just imagine and, and I love how you're coaching some of the youngest, they're just so stinking cute. And then thinking about right, the national and international athletes. So um, you get just quite a wide range of experience from it, I'm sure too. Yeah, you do. And and they're all like so inspiring. Like it doesn't matter, like these four and five-year-olds that are so passionate about learning and they want to um, learn about skating and they're excited and they have a really great energy. Um, and I really, really like working with them. And that is so different than working with the higher end competitive athletes. But I, I like both of them equally and they both have really great benefits. It's amazing. 
I want to jump in a little bit to some of your professional career as a figure skater and then talking more about what life is like now as a mom and some of the other things that you're focused on. When you look back at um, your professional skating career, what accomplishment are you most proud of and why? Yeah, it's always hard to like pinpoint one thing. Like, I guess there's two major ones that stand out to me. The first would be in 2012 when I won my first national title. I'd been competing at the nationals at the senior level since 2004. Um, So it was, you know, quite a long, long road. And I finished from second to eighth place or to 10th place between second and 10th over the course of of eight years um, between singles and pair skating because I did skate singles at the national level before I skated pairs. And it kind of got to a point where it was like, maybe I'm just never going to win a national title. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe like, it's like always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Like I was second, I was third and I was second and I was fourth and, you know, all over the map. And you start to think like, maybe it's just not in the cards for me, but I still love what I'm doing and I'm going to keep on giving everything I have. And in 2012, um, I remember walking backstage before we go on the ice for, for the competition. And it was just like, I remember just talking to myself and saying like, you're being presented with this opportunity and you have to seize the opportunity because right now you have an opportunity to win a national title. And these things don't come around very often. And I worked my entire life for that. And it was like, you're going to go out there and seize it right now. And there was like, not a chance that I wasn't going to take that moment and grab it. And uh, that was really life-changing moment. And that changed the trajectory of my career, of my skating career, both in Canada and internationally. And and from there, I won every national title from 2012 till 2018 in pair skating. Um, Another big, big moment for me was the world championships in 2016. So in 2015, my partner and I won the world championships. We were also undefeated the entire season. Um, So we had a really big season coming off the Sochi Olympics. And we went into the next season, obviously feeling a lot of pressure that we never felt before as reigning world champions. And we were having a really good season. Um, we came second at one competition and and won all the rest and things were going well, but the landscape of skating changed that year. The Olympic champions from Sochi who didn't compete the year before, they came back. Yes. And a five-time world champion, Aliona Sevchenko from Germany came back with a new partner. So two teams that weren't at Worlds the year before when we won. Then there's a young Chinese team who was really like catching up ground. They were second at Worlds uh, the year before to us. And then a couple of other Russian teams coming up on the scene. So the landscape was changing. And I remember going to Worlds and my partner and I talking and being like, you know, we we could be sixth here. Uh, Like we could skate well and still come sixth. That's how tough the field was. And before we left to the world championships, we just accepted that. We said, you know what, it could happen. And as long as we skate our best and when we finish our programs, we're proud and we're happy. That's the most important thing. And if we come sixth, we come sixth. But if we are proud and happy, that's our goal. So we were very aware of the the landscape of pair skating at that world championships. And then also having the pressure of being reigning world champions and having to defend your world title. Um, And the world championships was in Boston and it was just... It was such a magical experience. The crowd was amazing. I think there was a lot of Canadians in the audience being <laughs> so close to Canada. Um, and we had the skate of our life in the short program and in the free skate. And I just remember the further we got into our free skate and the more difficult elements that were done, I was getting so excited. And I said to my partner, we did it in the middle of our program. And he was like, no, it's not done yet. <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> 
he doesn't want to get excited yet. <laughs> um, and there's like typical me. I'm always like getting like overexcited a little bit too early. But um, I remember being up in my last lift. So over my partner's head in our very last lift. And when I, my head was down because that's the position of the lift that I was in. And I could see my coaches standing beside the boards, jumping up and down and screaming. <laughs> and I was just, I just said like, yeah, like right at them. I was so excited. Um, and it was just such a special feeling. And when we finished that program and my partner and I gave each other a hug and uh, we just looked at each other, like basically in disbelief, like, I can't believe that that just happened. It wasn't about winning anymore. It was like, we had conquered ourselves um, under all this pressure. And we still went out there and we did it. And we were proud of ourselves and our coaches were excited. And I remember, I just kept saying like, I can't believe we did it. I can't believe we did it because you feel so much stress and so much pressure beforehand. And then the music starts and you get in, in the zone and in the moment. And we were rewarded with a career best score and a second world title. So that was really a special moment. Yeah, those are such amazing stories to share. And I think certainly your second story speaks to that mental work that you have to do along with the physical, right? To be able to overcome those kinds of challenges in your head about can Mm -hmm. you do it? And just the pressure from the year before is quite amazing. I remember we had, I had so many mantras I would say to myself like all day long leading into the competition. And as I was going into my starting position and then when the music started, it almost just like transported us to our training environment because we heard that music every day. So that's what we always told ourselves is as soon as the music starts, we're just at home because it's like our comfort. We hear this music when we're at home all the time. Yes. But yeah, it was like, it was just such a surreal moment. And those once in a lifetime performances that you can have as an athlete. And we really struggled after that world championships, actually, because I remember talking to my husband, who's also my coach and saying like, it's never going to be that good again. Why, like, why bother continuing? We're never going to be as good as we were that night in Boston, because I really saw that as like the best I could ever be. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I thought that was like my capacity. I hit my limit. And um, that created a different stress um, the following season, just feeling like I I was already as good as I I could be. I'll never be that good again. And just questioning like why I, why I was continuing if I couldn't be that good ever again. Yeah, that is really challenging in terms of that mental capacity. What Mm -hmm. are some of the mantras you said to yourself? I'm trying to remember. I would always tell myself one of the things that um, I used for many years was the chaos is happening around you. It's not happening to you. Mm. So I told myself that a lot. Whenever I felt stressed or pressure or overwhelmed by the moment, it was like, that's all happening around you. It's not happening to you. Mm, that's amazing. So that was one of my favorite ones that the chaos is happening around you. It's not happening to you. So many of our listeners, that's important. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was a big one. I used it at the Olympics as well. That was a really, really big one. Um, and just trying to stay, stay present and reminding myself that I just, I want to be proud. I want to be present. I want to be happy. I want to be in the moment um, and focusing on all those, all those feelings. And I, I worked with a mental trainer. And one of the things that we also worked on, on was inhaling what I wanted. So I would inhale, like, mm. I want to be in the moment. And then I would exhale any of the worries or stress that I would have had at that moment. So it's almost like I'm taking them away. So I would inhale and bring in what I wanted and I would exhale and remove what I didn't want. What an amazing practice. When you were telling those stories, I was getting chills and I'm (laughs) 
quite such and I also watched probably those performances but um one of the things about figure skating as some like as you watch it as a spectator is the emotion between the music and uh, that you're able to portray as an athlete it is I don't know why it's mostly figure skating but I often just end up crying watching it and getting full body chills and I don't get that with all kinds of athletics but there's something special about figure skating yeah, it's the performance sport. Um, I think, you know, adding the, the music and the emotional performance to the athletic skills. And, um, you know, I was, I think I always, as a person and as, as an athlete, as a figure skater, um, what you see is what you get. So like, if I was living in the moment and like living my best life, like I was in Boston <laughs> that night, like I was going to live it. And some people really like that. When I watch skating, I love those type of performances. Um, other people, you know, I saw the criticisms after like, well, she was too excited in the middle of the skate. She should have just stayed more focused. But I mean, to me, that that type of emotion just adds to the moment. And it was real. It was how I felt. So I, yeah, that's and what I, I want to show. As a viewer, it also makes you excited, right? Because you're like, oh, they're happy and excited. And so you mm-hmm. kind of go with that, that excitement. Um, yeah. Yeah. When yeah, it was just so special and the crowd also helps. Yeah. I mean, having such an amazing crowd in Boston and a big chunk of supporters for Eric and I definitely helped that moment. We won our first world title in China the year before. Um, really like far removed from many Canadians and much support. Um, and on top of it, the Chinese finished second, third, fourth behind us. Mm-hmm. So like we really didn't have the rink on our side that time. So um, yeah, it was just a completely different experience. Yeah, that's really interesting as you explain that because being an international athlete, right? Like your, your experience across the world, you have time zones, language differences, even people watching, it's harder for Canadians to watch and catch things when you're in China. So it, there's a lot of interesting things to think about from that perspective as well. Mm-hmm. As a female athlete, did you feel that there were any barriers that you had to overcome at times by being a female in the sport? I mean, not not that much. Um, I always like struggled a bit, I guess, with the... Um, stereotype of what a female figure skater should look like Mm -hmm. I'm an extremely muscular like stocky type of body build um and then on top of it my partner is like six was six foot three and long and lean Mm -hmm. and I'm like 411 like muscles and um I can't change my body it's just who I am right so you you look very athletic and I did a lot of athletic skills like throw quads and triple lutzes that nobody else did and that's thanks to my strength and my muscles and the type of body I have but um you know there was a time where I struggled um a little bit with that I always felt like I was and a lot of times I got feedback from officials and judges about my my lines like my leg didn't stretch long enough and like I'd watch videos and pictures and it's like stretched and like to the point that my leg is shaking but of course it doesn't look long and like my muscles are bulging out so it breaks the line a little bit um so like I heard those type of things and I would sometimes struggle with it and I did everything in my power to lean out my strength I never wanted to lose my strength because that was my edge that's what brought me to winning world championships and winning Olympic medals but um you know I worked a lot in this um workout called eccentrics which is about strengthening but through elongated movements 
so I did a lot of that type of work trying to elongate my body, even though like I can't make it any longer, but <laughs> trying to elongate <laughs> my muscles so they were less bulky. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a big, ste- there, there was, and there is a big stereotype of what a female figure skater's body should look like. And I feel like I was, I'm one of the very few champion pair skaters that had more of a muscular stocky type body type. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully that's just inspired more people to know that it is possible. Yeah. I think that's amazing. I actually, I wanted to mention to you something about it was like, how do I bring this up? But when not right now, I'm definitely out of shape right now, which is something (laughs) I'm working on. But when I was an athlete and doing gymnastics and stuff like that, my body was more like yours. And I'm, I'm short like you. Right. And Mm. was always very strong and kind of bulky, like not that kind of thin muscle person. And when I look at you as an athlete and skating and doing these things, I can kind of see myself reflected and it allows you to see that as a positive thing. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I'm quite certain even in just how I viewed you, uh, that young girls will see themselves in you. Um, and I think that's amazing. And it's, it's so hard to imagine, you know, officials trying to suggest that you change your, your body that way. Right. Um, yeah. Or even like comments, like, well, you know, like Eric is so long and lean and Megan's too like small and, and muscly, like just like little, (laughs) they don't match, but we can make it match. You can make it work. You can create different shapes and different looks. Why does everybody have to look the same? I don't want to look at the same piece of art 20 times in a row. I want to see something different each of those 20 times. And I definitely brought something different to the sport of figure skating and pair skating. And that, that was, you know, what brought me to the top. Yes. It was amazing when I was researching for this episode and all the different times that you did things where you were the first that did it. And like, it just, as I was reading through stuff about you, like it happened so many times throughout your career. Like you really have made such a fundamental mark on your sport, which is really amazing. Yeah. I I like to think that we have, unfortunately, the international skating union changed a lot of rules, um, after the Olympics and pair skaters are still allowed to do things like throw quads, but they made them worth less points Mm. because they wanted, they didn't want them to be doing them. So it's not worth it for pairs to be trying them anymore right now. And that's, that's really a sad thing about the sport of pair skating because right now it's not growing athletically. And, um, you know, I think it should be up to each skater to decide which avenue of the sport they want to push. Some people will really push choreographically. Some people will really push the emotional performance. Some people will really push the technical elements. Everybody has their edge and what they can do. Right. And unfortunately, the International Skating Union has really made it so that throw quads will be absolute because they're just not being given enough points for what mm-hmm. they're worth. Um yeah, I can imagine like my partner and I being the first to do it at the Olympics. I really hope we're not the last. I think right. that was really sad for the sport. We should never put a, a cap on the sport. Like imagine telling Usain Bolt, like you can only run this fast. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's like, so f- You don't want to limit. No, it's so frustrating because when you look at somebody like you, who's been, you know, pushing the boundaries and passing them and, um, if those limits are in place, like sometimes you just lose your drive, right? When you're yeah. at the top, you need something to push yourself for. Mm-hmm. Well, there was a, 
um, the year after those, that Boston world championships, my partner and I started doing a throw triple axel because throw quads were not, they're not allowed in the short program. You have to do a throw double or triple. So the highest value throw triple would be the throw triple axel. So we were like, okay, that's another, you know, half point or one point that we can get on, on our competitors. So we learned it. We were able to land it. We landed a pretty good one at an international competition in the fall of 2016, but it barely got one point more than our throw triple lutz that we used to do. Which is crazy. And the risk factor was just like a lot more to do that. And at the end of the day, when we were like weighing our, you know, weighing what we should do, it just, it wasn't worth it. And it gave us motivation to work on it. It was unique. It brought the sport forward. But unfortunately, the way that the points are designed, it just wasn't worth it. So yeah, it would be nice if we saw the sport grow on that in that way a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to ask you, and and maybe you've already answered this, but to get your thoughts on, was there a specific moment where you had to take a risk or a bold move and that it paid off for you? Well, yes. Um, when my partner and I started skating together, um, we had both done pair skating before, but we'd also been um, champion single skaters at the junior level in Canada. So we, as single skaters, we had a, a really great base of individual jumping skills that not all pair skaters do. So when we started skating together, we decided we were going to do this side-by-side triple lutz, which is, was the hardest jump or is the hardest jump that pair skaters have ever done. So for two years, we attempted that triple lutz and we missed it every time every time for two seasons in a row. And my, my husband, who's my coach, he used to tell me like a lot of people are saying like, maybe they should do an easier jump. Why do they keep doing that? And my husband said, no, one day that jump will make them champions. And he said, one day they're going to figure it out. They just need time and they will become champions because of that jump. And that's exactly what happened in our third season together. The triple let's got really consistent. We won our first world medal and from there, just kind of skyrocketed to the I top. have the chills so, again, Megan. <laughs> so we literally failed for two years. Mostly it was me. I think my partner missed like one. Most of the time it was me. Um, and not because I couldn't do it. It's just I hadn't competed that jump in like six years. So it was, you know, right. a different mental game in competition than the easier jumps were. But once we started landing it, it became very consistent. And in the short program, it would give us a couple points more than any other pair team was doing. And on top of the points, it just, it set us apart. We did something that nobody else did. Um, And yeah, I always remember my husband saying like, we're not taking it out and putting an easier jump in because one day that jump will make you a champion. Yeah. what That's amazing for thought for him. Yeah. And, and for you guys to go with it, right? Like you have to trust that leadership that, that you're going to get there. Yeah. do you have a favorite moment from the Olympics? Um, of my own? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, well, I have a few. Like, I remember at my first Olympics in 2014, we were doing a great short program in our, our individual pairs event. And the short program had been going really well. And we were in our footwork sequence right at the end of the program. And I was skating over the Olympic rings and I looked down and I was like, oh, this is so cool. I'm skating over the Olympic rings. And then I stumbled. And um to like the naked eye watching, it doesn't look like much, but we actually like lost a few points because I didn't complete my difficult turns cleanly mm-hmm. because I had, I had tripped. So um, that was just kind of like a funny, like a funny story of like, oh my gosh, here I am at the Olympics. And then like, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, 
I have I have two from the Olympics in in Pyeongchang in 2018. Sure. Um, in 2014, when I went to the Olympics in the long program, uh, my partner and I we finished seventh in our event, and in large part because I fell on our side by side triple sow cow, and the triple sow cow is a jump I've been doing since I was about 12 years old, 13 years old. Um, and when I really needed it at the Olympics, I, I fell and I lived with a lot of regret for four years about that jump. Like mm-hmm. I waited for four years to get back to the Olympics and to land that triple sow. It like ate away at my soul um, enough that we actually took the jump out and put a new jump in. And then we went back to the triple sow a couple of years later when it was like a little bit more fresh mentally for me. Um, but on our first practice at the Olympics, when I skated around the Olympic rings and I did my, that triple sow cow that I waited four years to go back to the Olympics and do. Uh, I remember crying on that practice. I was like, oh, that's all I wanted. That's not all I wanted to do at the Olympics, yes. but it was like a huge hurdle for me. Yeah. I can just, the pressure, I can see it in your face. Like finally after, you know, a few yeah, years, like I, which is quite amazing. I just wanted to get on that ice on that practice and like land that triple sow. And when I did that, it's almost like, it was like the Olympics is going to be okay. I, in that moment, I was like, everything's going to work out. Yeah. It, it just this. gave me that. Yeah. It gave me that confidence. It gave me that assurance. Um, and then obviously the, the big moment at the Olympics was our, our free skate when we won the bronze medal in the Paris competition. Um, yeah. Another one of those Boston like performances, the world championships I was talking about earlier, just a really special performance. I remember walking around backstage before we were going on the ice and usually my partner and I, we were both very anxious and nervous. We would always tell each other, Oh my God, like my stomach feels sick. I feel like I'm going to like, I'm going to die. Sometimes like we felt like I was going to, we were going to have a heart attack and we would tell each other that to like get it off our chest and then to try to help each other, like with how we felt. Mm-hmm. And I remember looking at him before we went on the ice and I said, I feel really relaxed. And he was like, Oh my God, me too. But I didn't want to tell you because I was scared. <laughs> because you never feel relaxed. And um, in the past, I I would have really struggled with that feeling before skating. I would have been like, I don't want to be relaxed when I skate. Like I would have gone all like crazy in my head, trying to amp myself up and get myself all worked up. And in that moment at the Olympics, I said, okay, today I feel relaxed. Let's just go with it. Let's go with it. And um, that's something I I worked really hard to be able to do. So I'm very happy it worked (laughs) out for me at the right moment that I could. Yes, it's like all the training just clicks. Yeah, and we went on the ice and felt so calm and confident. And I, I had a mistake on the second element in our program that the triple Lutz, I put my hands down on the ice. Um, and then we come right around the corner into the throw quad. And so there's not much time to recover from that mistake and, and move forward. And something else I had worked on with my mental trainer that season was when an element's done, it's done. And you mentally and physically have to move on to the next thing. And like my hands were still on the ice like saving my, my bum from falling on that triple X. And I was already like onto the quad. So it was like, okay, that's done. Like, I don't, I didn't dwell on it. It wasn't like, Oh my God, my Olympic moment's over. I made a mistake. It was just like, okay, next. And we didn't miss a throw quad at the Olympics. Like we, we didn't fall on one the whole time we were there. So I was really confident for it. And then right after the throw quad, it was that my nemesis triple sow cow that I fell into the last (laughs) Olympics. And um, each thing was just like, calmly checked off Mm -hmm. it wasn't as much of an emotionally fueled performance as that world championships it was a little bit more controlled in the emotional side um until the very end but it was like I was just like calmly going through each thing and 
my main goal was to, again, be proud and happy when we hit our ending position. And when we got there, it was just that disbelief again, like, how did we do that? How did we come here to this huge moment and, and do it? And we just looked at each other in disbelief and said, like, how did we just do that? Um, and just, yeah, just so special. And and I remember getting off the ice and my husband, again, I said that he's my coach and, and he gave me a hug and he said, you're the strongest athlete I've ever seen because he couldn't believe that I had gone around and nailed that throw quad after, after missing the throw lots. He was just yes, like, I can't see, believe it. Like you're the strongest athlete I've ever seen, like mentally to be able to do that. He was really impressed with that. And, and yeah, we went in the kiss and cry and we got us our score, which is almost the same score as we got that time in Boston. So we've never scored that high, only those two times in our career. So that was amazing scores, but it didn't confirm we were on the podium at that moment. We were in second and we still had two more teams to skate after us. So they take you to the, this little room behind the kiss and cry. The kiss and cry is where we go to get our marks. And then we had to go sit in a room with the, the other people that are in contention for a medal. So we were in there with the German team who was in first and we were in second. Um, and we, we watched the next team skate and they struggled a bit. We beat them in the free skate, but we still went into third overall because they were so much further ahead of us in the short program. So then we were in third place with one last team to go. And um, I remember just sitting in this chair next to my partner and the, the team that was skating this Russian team, they were really struggling throughout their performance. And halfway through, I told my partner, like, that's it. Like, they've made too many mistakes. There's no way. Like, we, we got it. We won the bronze medal. And he was like, no, they're going to give them perfect. They're still going to give them perfect scores. That that was his. <laughs> they're still going to score perfect. And I was like, no, they're not. They can't. And he was like, watch. They will. They will. He just didn't want, he didn't want to believe it. And he didn't want me to get him all excited. Right. To get let down. Right. Like, I understand that, but I was so confident. I was like, no, Eric, like we did it. We won the bronze. And he was like, no, no. And, uh, <laughs> so we had to wait till like, I had to wait till the final second um, for the scores to come up to officially confirm it. But um, when you know the math and you know the mistakes that are happening, like I had already confirmed it in my head, but yes. finally he was confirmed of it. And um, yeah, it was just this, such an exciting moment. Of course. it. I love what your coach said about pulling yourself back together after that mistake, because you do see so many performances, um, especially in figure skating, where after that first mistake, it just keeps happening throughout the performance, mm -hmm. right? It's really hard to come back from that. And to be able to do that at, at the Olympics, when you look at things like mental health or self-care, whether it was, you know, during that part of your career or now in your life, what is something that really helps you? I always tried then, and I still try now, um, is to prioritize that feeling of, of pride in what you do. Mm -hmm and being proud of yourself. And things don't have to be perfect to be proud of yourself. You can recover and overcome something really challenging. And that makes you feel so proud. So I was always, that was like my end goal was to always feel proud of myself um, and have pride in what I do. Uh, so having pride in what I do meant doing things my way as well, which was extremely unique in the figure skating world. And, you know, I carried that pride very strongly, um, wanting to, to do things as myself and be myself. And, um, that really helped me. And, and I really, I openly worked with sports psychologists and mental trainers. I had no problem speaking about this and, um, you know, helping other athletes also like recommending to them mental trainers that I knew that were really good. I, I continue to do that to skaters today. If I see somebody struggling, you know, 
sending them the name and, and email or phone number of the mental trainers that helped me. And, uh, I worked with some really great ones and I, I learned a lot and was, I, you know, had a full toolbox of coping mechanisms for stressful moments. So many lessons that you, it seems like you are able to also use in other parts of your life, which is really amazing. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that helped you stay motivated? Because as you talked about, there are setbacks and disappointments. So how do you continue to move forward through those moments? Those were always my most motivating moments. Mm -hmm. That's where my partner and I really differed. When things were going really well, he was very motivated and very excited. When things were going poorly, that's where he really struggled. Um, When things were going bad, like it almost just motivated me more. I couldn't wait to dig myself out of that hole. I couldn't wait to get to the other side um, and to overcome what was, what was happening. So that was always a big motivator for me was like, this is a challenge and I have to overcome this. And like, how can I overcome it? Can, how much better can I bounce back from this uh, adversity? And, you know, like in the moment, it was not that easy to think like that. In the moment, it was a little bit more difficult to think like that. But, um, you know, after a day or two of reflection, I always came through with that type of um, thought process. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, sometimes that meant to streamline and change goals and change the plan. And um, But I always wanted to take action as soon as possible. I remember a poor performance that we had the the year of the Olympics when the season began for the 2018 Olympics, we, we debuted and we had a terrible performance and we got our score in the kiss and cry. And I didn't want to leave the kiss and cry until we had a game plan moving forward so that that wouldn't happen again. And I remember sitting in the kiss and cry and being like, okay, we need to do this. We need to do this. We need to work with this person. Like it was like, I wanted to get it organized and get moving so that we can move past that moment. Right. It's like helps you get through it by thinking Mm -hmm. about what's next. It, it also sounds really interesting, the dynamics with your partner and, and having a partner and how that would differ than when you were a pair skater. Like that that dynamic is kind of interesting to think about because it seems like there's different times where you could feed off each other or where you were different um, that maybe helped or you could rely on each other, which is really interesting to think about too. Yeah, like our our professional relationship didn't end that well because he chose to to kind of leave me and come back and go to another Olympics last year. But aside from that, <laughs> yes. we said that I thought that we had, I thought that we had like the perfect business relationship, actually. Um, we were good friends. We got along. Um, we never wasted time fighting and arguing. And we were very different. So we balanced each other really well. We brought each other to a good place. Like, so I, I'm like so high strung and he's like super calm. So he needed a little bit more energy and a lift. And I needed that calming. Um, even just with our own personalities and with our skating was very similar like that as well. And, uh, we just had a great working relationship and a great respect for each other. When we skated together, we always expected each other to give 100% of whatever they had that day. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're having a bad day. That's fine but give a hundred percent of whatever's in your tank. Um, and we always trusted that each other would do that. Um, and that we, we were working towards a common goal. So we were, we both had the same goal. We both wanted to get there the same way. We were both, we both had the same vision of how to get to that goal. So it made our working relationship quite easy. That's really interesting. There's so many life lessons, like as you talk about Mm -hmm. your figure skating career that I think so many of the listeners can Mm -hmm. apply to their own lives as well. Mm -hmm. 
I want to talk about transitioning into becoming a mother. From your experience of being a professional athlete and a figure skater, was there any lessons that you could pull uh, from that experience to prepare yourself for the challenges and joys of becoming a mom? You know, it's it's very different. Um, it's very different. <laughs> <laughs> Part of it is that my first was born just a couple months before COVID kind of hit and locked down mm-hmm. the world. So nothing can prepare you for that. Yes. Right. Like that was, it doesn't yes. matter what experiences you had before that. Nothing could prepare for that. Yes. I have a five month old baby and, and we're locked down. We're stuck at home. We can't go anywhere. My husband and I don't have work. We're not working. Like it was, yeah, it was a different, different time. Um, so, you know, the early part of my motherhood was very unique and very different to, to the part of motherhood I'm experiencing now with my second, my second at seven months is experiencing such a different world than my, my first did at that exact same age. Yes. But, um, you know, I think like basic things, uh, basic things like resilience in, in sport and resilience in life and, and overcoming any type of challenges. And, um, I didn't really have to do this much as an athlete, but you, in some ways, like you have to be able to, to perform as an athlete, no matter what the circumstances are. Mm -hmm. And you kind of have to do that as a, as a parent too. Um, and that it's usually so means one, like no sleep at all. Like I, <laughs> I, I always say I haven't slept in like three years, but yeah, like you have, you have to perform and be there for your children and, and have energy for your kids. And to, to have this, even if sometimes it's a show because it's not how you really feel, it's kind of how we had to be in skating too. Sometimes for me, motherhood, if I'm thinking about my first was just, was so unique because of the situation that the world was in. Yes, of course. I, I thought so much of new and and young parents going through the pandemic because I had different challenges with my kids and having them home home from school is so hard but I often thought parents with toddlers like you never get a break right like my kids are able to like go to other rooms and do things on their own and like don't need help with all the things but (laughs) with toddlers it's just like a whole or babies right like it's a Mm -hmm. it's a whole different game and so I really felt for people going through that experience it, it's very unique as you, as you said, and a, a challenging experience. It was, and it was like, it coincided with my professional career ending as well in a way, because um, when all of this had happened, I was still performing um, on tour after the Olympics, my partner and I, we performed, we went on a huge tour across Canada, the thank you Canada tour. We toured Japan, we toured China, we toured, we went, to a shows in Korea, not like toured the whole country and shows in the States, shows in Europe. We were really busy and performing all over the world. And then all of a sudden that stops and you don't know at the time, like we didn't know when it was going to pick back up again, when we're going to fill up a rink with an audience. Um, So yeah, that was like, you know, the, the, the end of my, my professional career. And then coming out of that, my partner deciding that he didn't, he didn't want to continue professionally. He wanted to go back and compete at the Olympics again. So so yeah, it was just a unique time in, in one's life. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's like, you have to use your resiliency skills and all kinds of skills. Like that's a lot of change happening for you um, mm. at once. And even just, I mean, I think you probably know this, but um, there's, there's a woman that I interviewed for the podcast. who has a kind of unique podcast, which you might enjoy about transitioning from being an athlete to different parts of your life. 
And uh, just that alone is so challenging and so unique. And then you add on to it having to uh, live through a pandemic. That's just really not an easy thing to do. I think everybody had like their own sets of challenges throughout the pandemic, right? Like, yes, no, it, it didn't matter how old your kids were or what you did for a living. Like you were adapting and, and going on the fly. And I always felt like one of, one of my greatest assets as an athlete, as a figure skater was my ability to adapt to the environment, adapt to my partner, adapt to, to different, different settings, but adapting to the world when everything locked down, like, I don't know if any amount of experience um, could have helped that. <laughs> oh, it's so true. You're, you're just grabbing at anything you can to kind of help you figure it out and, and keep going. Uh, mm-hmm. What are some of the goals that you have, whether it's, you know, as a mom or, or with your career as coaching, what are, what are some of the things you're thinking about when you think about your future? Oh my goodness. One of the things I really want to do is have a podcast, actually funny, funny enough, um, where I want to, want to share stories from the figure skating world and, um, share, you know, inspiring people, um, with the world and educate more people about the sport and bring more awareness to the sport. Because I, I do think it's a, a really beautiful and unique sport. And I wish it would, you know, get a, a bit of a lift from the the public. So one of my, my long-term goals is to have a podcast and uh, host a podcast, but um, mostly working right now within the figure skating world to help the future and mm. inspire the future and, you know, get them on their journey. And I'd really like one of my long-term goals is to work in high-performance sport. Ideally, I see that as in Canada, like to work in high performance sport in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, this summer, I did uh, apply for a job in Ontario with Skate Ontario to work with their high performance team. And unfortunately, I, I wasn't <laughs> selected for that job this year, but maybe something like that will come up in the future. Again, to to help guide young athletes on their mm-hmm. journey. You know, what was the point of going through all these experiences in my my career if I can't use them to help other athletes now? Yeah, you're coming from such a unique perspective, right? And and experience and world class and best in class for for many things. So that's quite a unique opportunity mm-hmm. for you, mm-hmm. but also for whoever hires you. So <laughs> hopefully next time you'll get it. You're making me thinking, Megan. I I'm pretty sure Skate Canada is like very close to my home. Like their head office is is very close to me. It is in Ottawa. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I was like, I'm pretty sure I I drive by it, (laughs) but it's in a bit bit of a unique part of the city. We're going to jump into uh, this closing questions. I just want to ask you one more, which before we do that, which is what advice would you give to other women who are trying to find their voice and make a positive impact on the world? I would say to trust yourself. Um, that's one thing that I did throughout my career when it came to making big decisions, like moving across the country or switching from singles to pair skating to trust myself and to trust my gut. And I had a coach that um, told me that once was when I was, you know, contemplating a big decision was to trust my gut mm-hmm. and um, your, your inner voice knows and to trust that and let that guide you and let that that guide you with your actions, but also let that guide you with your voice and, and the way that, that you live your life. Um, and everybody has such a different message to give and unique message to give. And each individual message from each individual person is important. These mm-hmm. things have to be put out there into the world and 
So, you know, never to, to think that maybe it, it doesn't matter and it it's not important enough. Everything is, and everybody has a unique message to share and a unique vision to share. Yes. To, to let that guide you. I love that because people do really see themselves or find inspiration from all kinds of different people, right? And sometimes you feel like, oh, my voice doesn't matter, but there might be something just about you that inspires them, but somebody else doesn't. So I think that message is really important. So we're going to close with some rapid fire questions. What is the best rule you ever broke? Oh my God. I I don't even know if I can answer these things in like (laughs) a rapid fire. That's okay. To shift the vision of what a female figure skater should look like and skate like. I like that. Can you name another woman that inspires you? I'm inspired by everybody. I have a really hard time like pinpointing one person. I'm inspired by the children I work with. I'm inspired by the competitive athletes I work with, by my own kids, by my family, by my parents. Uh, I think that we can take inspiration from everywhere. So true. Is there a podcast you're loving right now? My favorite podcasts, I have two very different from each other. They're always the Rich Roll podcast. And Dateline's Murder Mystery Podcasts. Yeah. (laughs) I listen to them regularly, both of them. (laughs) You won't be alone there for sure. Can you tell us about a book that made you wiser? Oh, I haven't. You know what? I haven't read a book in so long. I've started a lot and have not finished a lot. That's that's very relatable, Megan. I listened to an audio book. Um, the bio- autobiography of Nathan Chen, who's the Olympic men's champion from the Beijing Olympics last year. Mm-hmm. And I found that very fascinating because he, he shared a lot of his life that I didn't know about and his training methods and his relationship with his mom, who was basically his trainer and his manager his entire career. So it was very unique, mm-hmm. not really life-changing, but that's the last <laughs> thing I kind of read, even though I listened to the words. That's fair. Sometimes we, we all need something like that to just... Mm-hmm. That's just interesting, but maybe doesn't make you think too much. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us today. It was great to get to know you and just be inspired by your story and advice you have for Women's Day. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for listening to Women Don't Do That. I hope you feel inspired to do whatever it is you think you can't do. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Stay connected on Twitter and Instagram at Women Don't Do That. I would love to have you join the conversation, so make sure you join our next Instagram Live. Find all our podcast and blog content at womendontdothat.com. Join me next time. 